You're listening to Down From Heaven, a podcast that covers the history of the 11th Airborne Division from World War II through today. I'm your host, Jeremy Holm. Thank you for joining me today. Let's jump right in. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me today as we discuss the 11th Airborne Division and their involvement in the surrender of Japan at the end of World War II. Um, My name is Jeremy Holm. For those of you who don't know me, I am uh, an American bobsled athlete and coach. I'm an author. Uh, I'm also a keynote speaker and a military historian with a focus on the 11th Airborne Division, um, mainly focusing on World War II. Um, the 11th Airborne's historic landings at Itsuki, it's, it's a fascinating subject and one that doesn't really get the attention that it might deserve. And, and I hope I, I can um, show you the evidence of that statement throughout this video today. While many historians and filmmakers and, and writers uh, focus on the Airborne Divisions in Europe, uh, as one 11th Airborne uh, member told me, he said, you know, when the war was over over there, we were still fighting in the Pacific. Um, indeed, the war in the Pacific lasted an additional four months until World War II officially ended with the surrender of Japan um, during a special ceremony on board America's newest battleship, USS Missouri, um, in Tokyo Bay. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. That occurred on September 2nd, uh, 1945. And as the spearhead of the occupation, the 11th Airborne Division played a key role in events leading up to those historic proceedings, which I'm really excited to tell you about today. Um, Six years and one day after Nazi Germany invaded Poland on September 1st, 1939, uh, General Douglas MacArthur declared during a special ceremony on the Missouri that the guns are silent. A great tragedy has ended. We have known the bitterness of defeat and the exultation of triumph. And from both we have learned there can be no turning back. We must go forward to preserve in peace what we've won in war. It was the day that the free peoples of the world had been praying for for years, uh, for over six long struggle-filled years. Um, Entire countries and nations were now free from the iron grip of tyranny and fear, and for a time at least, um, dictators were deposed, brutalities ended, and genocide stopped. The brief but poignant words of a young war-weary paratrooper from the 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment sum up the feelings of so many around the world at the time. He said, my impressions of that day and the great relief we all felt hearing that the war was over are hard to describe. Those words were spoken by Captain Stephen E. Cavanaugh of Riverside, California. Uh, And like many in the 11th Airborne Division, Rusty, as he was known, uh, was tired of war. After joining the 511th PIR at Camp Tocoa, Georgia in late 1942, Rusty led the regiment's Company D through eight months of intense combat on the islands of Leyte and Luzon, um, Rusty and the Angels quickly gained a reputation as fiercely capable fighters uh, who could be depended on to get the job done. And, and they did that time and time again as they fought their way westward through the jungles and mountains of Leyte in November and December of 1944. Um, and then they helped liberate Luzon in 1945. General Robert L. Eichelberger, who was the commander of U.S. 8th Army, he wrote to his wife, Emelina, I am very keen about this 11th Airborne. They are small in number, but they are willing to fight. And they were small in number, less than, you know, about half the size of a standard army uh, division at the time. Uh, But under Major General Joseph May Swing, the Angels established a record in war and peace that is unmatched in the history of the U.S. Army. That statement was made by Colonel Edward Lottie, 
who commanded the 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment on Luzon and then led them to Japan in 1945 and um, was over the regiment during uh, several uh, years of their occupation duty. The Angels' unmatched record included two medals of honor, 10 distinguished service crosses, 480 silver stars, 10 Legion of Merit medals, 63 soldier medals, 108 air medals, over 1,500 bronze stars, and more than 2,500 purple hearts. 13 division elements received the Presidential Unit Citation and the Philippine Presidential Unit Citation. They also earned campaign streamers inscribed with New Guinea, Leyte, and Luzon with an assault arrowhead. No wonder General Walter Kruger, commander of America's 6th Army, said that the Angels were the fightingest outfit he had ever seen. And it was this fightingest outfit that General Douglas MacArthur selected to be the first full unit into Japan before the surrender ceremony took place. MacArthur also tasked the Angels with several historic duties um, in Japan that affected the end of the war, and I'm, I'm thrilled to share these with you today, so let's get to it. After the Angels completed the last airborne operation of the war, Task Force Gypsy, in Apari, Luzon, in June of 1945, um, they spent two months preparing for the anticipated invasion of Japan. Now, Allied planners scheduled to drop the 11th Airborne uh, on Honshu on D plus 3 during Operation Downfall, um, which was, of course, the, the plan um, for the invasion of Japan. After reviewing the plans for the invasion and the estimates of just how bloody that campaign was, was expected to be, one 511th PIR paratrooper wrote, That would have been the end of most of the men in my outfit, including me. The 11th Airborne's division chaplain, Dr. Lee Walker, said it would have been hell, spelled in capital letters. Even so, the Angels' motto at the time reflected General Douglas MacArthur's motto at the time, which of course was, on to Tokyo. Now, General Swing, who was by now friendly with General MacArthur, said of the Supreme Allied Commander, I have a sneaking idea that he believes as we do, we can handle just about twice as many Japanese as any other division. Thankfully, the Angels never had to find out. After the dropping of the second atomic bomb at Nagasaki on August 9, 1945, the Empire of Japan indicated a formal desire to surrender. This announcement set a lot of things in motion that changed the course of history, including for the 11th Airborne Division. At 4 a.m. on August 11th, so two days after the Nagasaki bomb was dropped, the Angels received orders to prep for departure sometime in the future. Now That order was updated eight hours later when the 11th Airborne was told that the transports uh, would start landing at their Lipa airfield in four hours. Their destination? Japan, via Okinawa. Now General MacArthur's headquarters told General Swing that his Angels would land at Atsuki before heading to Tokyo to disarm the Imperial Palace's Royal Guards, at which point Swing's troopers would take over, guarding the Imperial family from fanatical Japanese. And given the historic nature of their new operation, requests for transfers to the 11th Airborne Division came in from all across the Pacific Theater. Now, General Swing was delighted that General MacArthur had selected his division to be the first full unit into Japan. He was so happy, in fact, that General, General Swing, his men called him Jumping Joe, but he he marched over to uh, the, the the hospital where most of his men were recovering from their wounds the, from the Luzon campaign. And he walks in and he says, I want every man in here that can walk 
out of here today. We're leaving the island. We're going to Japan. Smiles broke out amongst the war-weary troopers of the 11th Airborne Division. You know, they thought the Screaming Eagles may have taken Hitler's eagle's nest, but only the 11th Airborne Division could handle being the first full foreign unit in history to land on Japan and then defend the emperor. By 1 p.m. on August 11th, the entire 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment had been recalled from rest camps and rallied to their southern Luzon airfields just as their transports began flying in. Under the control of the 54th Troop Carrier Wing, the planes were loaded and began flying to the Kadena Strip on Okinawa, while General MacArthur himself watched all this going on. By August 15th, just four days after they were told of their new mission, the 11th Airborne had completed their 900-mile move to Okinawa. That the airlift and divisional move of over 11,000 men and 1 million pounds of equipment was completed in just 44 hours was a historic feat in and of itself. The 511th's Captain Stephen Cavanaugh declared, I don't believe there was any other division in the Pacific Theater that could have initiated and carried out such a major airlift with such rapidity. And he was probably right, too. Now, the Angel spent two impatient weeks on Okinawa, waiting for the official word to depart for Japan, but the logistics of the surrender were still being worked out, a fact which was attested to when on August 19th, the Angels watched a specially painted Mitsubishi Betty Bomber fly overhead, lit up by nearly every spotlight on the island, now, the Angels were surprised to discover that the twin-engine craft carried Japan's delegates on their way to Manila to meet with General MacArthur and his staff. Six days later, on August 24, 1945, the Angels finally received Field Order Number 34, outlining their final instructions upon landing in Yokohama, including the need to remove all Japanese within a three-mile radius of the airfield and to guard General MacArthur and his entourage once they landed. There were a few other interesting aspects to their mission, but we'll get to those in just a second. Um, after a few days delayed due to monsoons, on August 30th, the 11th Airborne Division began loading into mostly commercial C-54 Skymasters for their historic five-hour flights to the bomb-damaged Atsuki Airfield. Now, I want to highlight something that several of the paratroopers pointed out to me over the years, and they said that you know, on their flights to Okinawa, and then Japan, this was the first time that many of the paratroopers had actually landed in a plane. They had jumped out of several with parachutes on, but for most of them, they've been accustomed to going up in the plane, jumping out of it, never landing. So Itsuki and Okinawa were firsts for a lot of these guys. With B-29s and P-51s flying escort, the 11th Airborne's second historic airlift ran 11 hours a day and landed one C-54 at Itsuki every three minutes. Now I want to point out something that several of the angels also pointed out to me and they said that this was a great risk. Um, no one really knew if Japan was actually going to surrender. They had indicated that they would but everyone also remembered that it was the same uh, imperial Japanese government that had been in talks with Washington right up to Pearl Harbor so there was concern that this might just be a big ruse to get an allied force to land that could then be attacked by Japanese forces and, and destroyed. So the, the angels flew combat loaded and they were told that um, you know, if fighting broke out, they would have to hold their own until reinforcements could be dropped in by, the, by air or be brought in over land after an amphibious landing. And if that wasn't scary enough, well, the angels were flying 
um, when they got over mainland Japan, they could actually look down and they saw all the defensive positions that the Japanese had built over the last few years and in, in, in anticipation of an invasion. Um, they also noticed countless anti-aircraft guns, you know, emplaced all over the place. And, and they just said, you know, we wondered if they were going to open fire and shoot us down. You know, and luckily none of those uh, terrible events took place. So at 6.03 a.m. on August 30th, 1945, um, the well-tanned Joseph Swing was the first first angel that day to step foot on the tarmac. And, and, and I say that day because he was not the first 11th Airborne Trooper to land on Japan. His Pathfinders and his um, famous recon platoon had landed two days earlier. But when General Swing touched down on August 30th, he was the highest ranking allied officer in Japan. So as such, you know, as soon as he, he was on the tarmac, he was greeted by a, an entourage of Imperial admirals and generals dressed in black. Now, General Swing said that they approached him with much bowing and scraping and uh, that they offered hands of, of, you know, they extended their hands to shake hands. And of course, you know, General Swing said, I was there for a military purpose. So I ignored their hands. And, uh, and then he just kind of barked out an order. He said, I want all of your swords removed immediately. General Swing's demand kind of surprised the Japanese delegates. Um, an interpreter came up and just said, you know, these, these swords are symbols of authority. But General Swing was not fooled. We have to remember he was a combat veteran. He led the 11th Airborne Division through their difficult campaigns on Leyte and Luzon. And he had seen swords just like those um, hack his men and civilians to death on both islands. So he rose to his full six feet in height. So he towered over the Japanese officers by at least a foot, you know, and he bellowed. He just said, from now on, I am the authority. So get those cake slicers or whatever you call them on the ground without delay. Well, the chastened Japanese quickly complied and, and, and the tarmac was soon full of, you know, these, these, uh, these swords. And in the ensuing months, many angels who had been sent home during the Leyte and Luzon campaigns to recover from their wounds received a sword in the mail. And it is my belief that many of those swords came um, from the swords there on the tarmac, as well as the ones that the angels collected over the next few months as they worked to disarm uh, the Imperial Japanese Army and so forth. Now, once they landed at Itsuki, the 11th Airborne Division had a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it in. While Swing conversed with the Japanese envoys, his angels moved to secure the airfield and the surrounding area, including the Yokohama docks, where additional friendly units would soon be landing. And to accomplish all this, Swing needed more men on the ground, so the division's transports landed fairly rapidly. As I told you, one of those transports would land every two to three minutes. Now, Captain Stephen Cavanaugh, he was now the executive officer of the 511th 1st Battalion. He said, you know, the Japanese commander of the, of the airfield, you know, assured us that his forces had secured the area um, against, you know, attacks by the few fanatical Japanese army units that were refusing to, you know, obey the emperor's command to surrender. Um, but Captain Cavanaugh said, we, you know, we didn't take his word for it, so we proceeded to establish our own security and covered the arrival of the additional division elements as they came in. Now again, the Angels had good reason to be concerned. As the first full Allied unit into Japan, they were now outnumbered tens of thousands to one. And while Japanese leadership confirmed their intentions to surrender, as we discussed, everybody remembered that that same leadership 
had snowed Washington leading up to Pearl Harbor. Staff Sergeant Jim Wilson of B Company, you know, I he told me we were thinking, what's going to happen if they don't surrender? How are we going to get out of here? As General MacArthur later noted of the Angels situation at Itsuki, he said, one false move and the Alamo would look like a Sunday school picnic. Again, luckily none of those worst case scenarios occurred. One of the first division elements to arrive that morning was the 511th Airborne Signals Company under 27-year-old Colonel John Jack Atwood. Now Atwood was General Swing's division signal officer, and his men quickly set up the first Allied CP on Japan in one of the airfield's hangars. Swing had Atwood uh, send a message to General MacArthur's headquarters in Manila indicating that the landings were proceeding as planned. Now, Atwood had a pretty big job to do on Z-Day, since he and his men were also tasked with handling communications for the soon-to-arrive 8th Army HQ and then MacArthur's staff once they landed a little bit later in the day. And while General Swing and his staff continued to work out the details with Japanese officers outside, something noteworthy was going on inside. As you can imagine, Every war correspondent in the Pacific Theater wanted to go with the 11th Airborne for their flights to Japan, but only a a handful were allowed to do so. Now, three of those correspondents were for Life magazine, and they wanted to capture the angels raising the first American flag over Japan. Now, unfortunately, one of the angels they asked to do so, Bill Rudolph of the 511th Signals Company, he had been ordered to guard the division's ultra-secret code machine, so he dutifully declined. Instead, The first American flag on Japan's homeland was raised atop the hangar housing the division CP by the 11th Airborne's Lieutenant Thomas Smith and Privates Arthur Labash, Donald Mack, and Frank Huber. It was a historic moment, and one that to the victorious angels symbolized freedom and America's resilience and sacrifices during the war. Another flag was raised a few days later in a more formal ceremony, by Lieutenant Edward Jacobs and Private Rex Pack with Alfred Cotton. Now, shortly after the first flag went up on August 30th, the Angels on the airfield watched General Robert Eichelberger's C-54 touch down a little bit after noon. Now, the Angels had been attached to Eichelberger's 8th Army on Luzon, and they respected the general greatly, so much so that when he exited his C-54, all the Angels on the tarmac gave him a big cheer. And Eichelberger told the gathered group, This is the beachhead where I was supposed to land in the invasion of Japan. General MacArthur gave me this area. I certainly never expected to get here by plane without a shot being fired. General Eichelberger then found the 11th Airborne Division's General Swing, and the two continued preparations and discussing things with the Japanese uh, delegates on the ground. And the two generals had worked well together during their operations on Luzon. They had a high level of mutual respect for each other. But there was a reason they had to hurry. General Eichelberger had asked General MacArthur to give he and General Swing two days' time to secure the area and make sure things were okay before General MacArthur would land. But of course, MacArthur would have none of it. Instead of two days, the 11th Airborne Division was going to have two hours. Now, one of the main Japanese officers that General Swing and General Eichelberger were working with at at Atsuki was Lieutenant General Sizu Erizu, the head of the Imperial Army's Intelligence Department. Um, General Erizu offered to wait for MacArthur's arrival, then act as a guide, but General Eichelberger told him, 
uh, to leave and check security along the route uh, that MacArthur would take. Now, General Erisu, he wanted a high-ranking Allied officer to go with him, but General Swing refused. Uh, word, the rumor was that he wanted the Japanese to lose face. So instead, General Swing sent his G3, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Hank Burgess. So the combat veteran Burgess, he rode by himself with General Erosu and other Japanese officers to the new Grand Hotel in Yokohama. Now there, Burgess met with a group of 15 Japanese generals and admirals to discuss General MacArthur's arrival at the hotel, since that is where the uh, Supreme Allied Commander was going to stay for a few days before the surrender ceremony. Now once the meeting was over, Colonel Burgess stood up to leave when a Japanese general firmly grabbed his arm and held him back. Now, Hank knew he was the only Allied soldier around for miles. And, you know, let's remember, he was a veteran trooper. He had been up front for, you know, months and months of combat. And he said that up to this point, no Japanese had ever touched me, although several had tried. So his battle reflexes kind of kicked in. And, uh, you know, he slapped the Japanese officer's hand away with his knife. And then he flipped the general around with his left arm around the general's neck. And then he pressed the tip of his knife against the man's throat. And of course, everybody in the room just froze and, you know, time seemed to stand, time seemed to stand still. Uh, you know, General MacArthur was going to land in a few hours and nobody wanted an incident that would ruin the surrender proceedings. So uh, another Japanese officer who, who spoke fluent English, you know, he, he quietly said to Colonel Burgess, he said, you know, it was military courtesy for the highest ranking officer to leave the room first. And to that, the Silver Star Burgess, re, um, you know, he replied, I am very familiar with military courtesy. And at this time, one American major outranks five Japanese generals. You know, Colonel Burgess then left the room first. Now, Colonel Burgess, he was not the only uh, angel to head towards Yokohama that morning. The 511th Parachute Infantry's Colonel Edward Lottie led a 10-man team on a tour of the devastated city with Yokohama's chief of police acting as a guide. Now, their tour went into the outskirts of Tokyo, so Colonel Lottie's patrol was actually the first authorized visit into the city by any members of the occupation forces. Big Ed, as he was called by his regiment, said that, there were, that they were surprised by the many defensive positions including foxholes in, in uh, families' backyards where the family would have fought uh, to the death during an Allied invasion. And Colonel Lottie's 511th PIR, well, they were assigned the northeast perimeter of the Angel Zone of Authority, so then they could secure the Yokohama docks where additional troops were, were landing, um, as well as several members of the Allied Peace Delegation. And we'll come back to the docks in just a moment, and Colonel Lottie, um, but let's head back to the Itsuki airfield itself, where things were really starting to get exciting. Now let's remember that the 11th Airborne Division's member thousands of troopers on the ground, they had spread out to secure the airfield in the surrounding area. And all these troopers looked up as General Douglas MacArthur's personal C-54, Baton II, circled the airfield and then touched down at 2.19 p.m. After pausing at the top of the stairs, MacArthur found General Swing and Eichelberger and said, Hello, Bob. And then he turned to General Swing and he said, How are you, Joe? MacArthur then turned back to General Eichelberger and said, Well, Bob, it has been a long, hard road from Melbourne to Tokyo. But as they say in the movies, this is the payoff. 
The renowned 11th Airborne Division Band then played several numbers for the Supreme Allied Commander, including Ruffles and Flourishes and the General's March. Pleased, General MacArthur said to Band Director Warrant Officer Robert Berglund, I want you to tell the band that that's about the sweetest music I've ever heard. General MacArthur then greeted several other high-ranking officers on the tarmac, and then he said, Come here, boys. I want to have my picture taken with you. You may have seen this famous photo before of General MacArthur at Itsuki, and what you might not know is that the officer wearing the combat helmet in this photo is the 11th Airborne's Major General Joseph Swing. And if you look in the background, you'll notice several other soldiers wearing helmets with 11AB on them. These are members of General MacArthur's Honor Guard that was selected from across the 11th Airborne Division. Now back in July, while the Angels were still on Luzon, uh, General MacArthur asked General Swing to form part of his honor guard for Japan. Swing then told his regimental commanders to select their best troopers for the assignment with the stipulation that each one had to be over 5'11". Now these men were all combat veterans and considered the best of the best since the 11th Airborne Division itself was considered one of the most elite units in the United States Army at the time. Now once selected, the 11th Airborne's uh, honor guard took their job very seriously. They knew that there were still fanatical Japanese soldiers and civilians alike who would like nothing more than to see General MacArthur dead or to disrupt the surrender proceedings. In fact, in recognition of the danger, England's Winston Churchill noted, Of all the amazing deeds in the war, I regard General MacArthur's personal landing at Itsuki as the bravest of the lot. Now, to give you an idea of the caliber of men selected for the honor guard duty, um, the 511th PIR's contingent consisted of two officers and 66 enlisted men. So 68 men who had been awarded a combined total of over 400 medals, badges, and ribbons. And, and as soon as General MacArthur landed, the 11th Airborne's honor guard moved to surround the general's plane, and that's why you'll see those 11th AB helmets in those photos with MacArthur on the ground, but at Suki, um, the honor guard members remained close to General MacArthur while he was taking those photos and greeting Allied officers and war correspondents and so forth. And if you look through the photos, um, again, you can see those 11th Airborne uh, helmets, those troopers, honor guard members, spread throughout the crowd um, on that historic morning. Now, General MacArthur and his 11th Airborne honor guard then loaded into Japanese-provided trucks and cars for the 15-mile trip to Yokohama's New Grand Hotel. 500 of the 11th Airborne's paratroopers joined them for additional protection, and, and they were actually using coal-burning trucks, which the Angels told me constantly broke down. Um, in fact, you know, Jim Wilson of B Company told me that at first, nobody knew how to start these trucks because the Angels had never seen a coal-burning truck, so they had to have you know, Japanese soldiers come show them how to do this. Upon arrival at the new Grand Hotel, the 11th Honor Guard took up position outside the main entrance and then throughout the building. The remaining angels dug in outside, and the hungry paratroopers immediately broke out their K-rations. Um, let's remember, they had not eaten since before midnight, 18 hours earlier. Inside the hotel, General MacArthur and his staff ate grapes and hamburgers. But the new Grand Hotel was not MacArthur's first choice for, uh, for a place to set up his HQ. Uh, he had considered using the Rising Sun Oil Company compound near the Yokohama racetrack. You know, the, the compound had 15 beautiful American-style homes. 
but ultimately he chose the hotel instead. So while General MacArthur set up at the new Grand Hotel, at 5.30, the 11th Airborne set up their new CP at the Rising Sun Oil Company's compound. By evening, General Swing had 4,200 troopers on the ground, and they'd been flying in all day, so he needed to run relays between Atsuki and Yokohama to bring the additional angels to their assigned areas. Again, they were using the provided Japanese trucks, and after several trips, one of the volunteered truck drivers, um, Private First Class Ed Baumgarten of G511, who took a wrong turn with his buddy, and they were trying to find the landing strips before dark because there were not a lot of lights on the streets anyway. And, you know, after about an hour of just driving around trying to find out where they were, they found an English-speaking Japanese man. And, and, you know, they just asked, where are we? And he pointed to a large green area and he said, Imperial Palace, one block. The two lost paratroopers were in the heart of downtown Tokyo. And Baumgarten remembered, a couple of weeks later... I saw in the Stars and Stripes a picture of the 1st Cavalry going to Tokyo. With the headline, First GIs Enter Tokyo, Ed said, I'd been there two weeks ahead of them. So, the 11th Airborne uh, Angels were some of the first Allied troops to enter Tokyo, which of course, this was a big no-no at the time. General MacArthur had forbidden any GIs from entering the city, but Baumgarten wasn't the only one to break that rule. A few hours after General Eichelberger and General Swing touched down, war correspondents Don Munson and PFC Frank Kiddo, who were attached to the 511th HQ, uh, they acquired, that was their word acquired, a ride into Tokyo uh, five days before General MacArthur entered the city. But again, the capital had been declared off-limits, so the two journalists wisely kept their Tokyo tour quiet until after the notoriously jealous MacArthur announced his own triumphal entry. Don and Frank never did say what General MacArthur thought of their stunt of entering the city five days before he did, but Don did have something to say about the 511th paratroopers that he was now traveling with. He said, I wish I had joined this outfit a long time ago. What morale, what marvelous companionship, and what eager guys. They have had some of the toughest combat in the war and are still the best disciplined, cheerful, roughest, toughest fellows I have ever met. I'm really proud to be one of them and to be going in with them in the first occupation. Now, there was one angel who did hear from General MacArthur about his unauthorized visit to Tokyo. On September 3rd, this was the day after the surrender ceremony on the USS Missouri, Uh, The 11th Airborne's 23-year-old Lieutenant Bernard Bud Stapleton of Syracuse, New York, uh, and photographer Captain Morton Sontheimer of San Francisco, they decided they were going to go to Tokyo just on a lark. The two angels explored the city for a bit, and then they decided to climb to the top of the Nippon uh, News Building, which was the tallest building in the area, and they noticed that there were hundreds of Japanese flags still flying throughout the city. Now, Lieutenant Stapleton, he was a former radio announcer, and he decided that the two angels needed to raise an American flag for everyone in the city to see. So while Bud took out an American flag, Captain Sontheimer took out his camera. Captain Sontheimer then sent this photo to military censors, and he left off his own name, but he identified Bud. He actually believed no one was going to print it since General MacArthur had not entered the city himself but he was wrong. 
The image appeared on the front page of newspapers all across the country and around the world. And while the Queen of England sent Bud a congratulatory letter regarding this historic moment, General MacArthur was far less pleased and he summoned the young paratrooper for what Bud called a chat. And he said, Bud said, you cannot imagine what it is like to be chewed out by a five-star general. But again, that was September 3rd. Let's go back to August 31st, or Z plus one, when a still happy General MacArthur was eating dinner at the New Grand Hotel. An aide announced the presence of General Jonathan Wainwright, who had stayed behind to command Corregidor's defenses after President Roosevelt ordered MacArthur to Australia in 1942. Now, a witness to this historic meeting was the commander of the 511th PIR's Honor Guard, Lieutenant Ralph Ermatinger, who was guarding the room. Actually, just outside the room was another Honor Guard member. Um, This was Robert Barker, and he saw the aide go out and meet meet General Wainwright. But back inside the room, um, Lieutenant Ermatinger watched the frail General Wainwright enter the room and, and lean upon the cane that General MacArthur had given him before the war. Now, Wainwright had spent three years as a POW, and he, he believed that he was seen as a failure back home um, because Corregidor had to be surrendered. Um, but Lieutenant Ermatinger watched General MacArthur warmly explain to the general that he was viewed as a hero. And then General MacArthur said to Wainwright, Why, Jim, your old corps is yours if you want it. Now, the next morning, General Swing and several other generals were waiting for General MacArthur in the hotel's lobby. Um, one of General MacArthur's staff was rushing through the lobby um, saying, no one can find an egg for the general's breakfast, right? General MacArthur was known to enjoy an egg with breakfast. And it just so happened that General Swing and his staff had captured some turkeys Um, that were being raised by Japanese officers on Luzon, and they brought them with them to Okinawa and then Atsuki. So General Swing's uh, G3, Colonel Henry Burgess, he went out to the General Swing's Jeep, he grabbed a turkey egg from the glove box, and he walked back into the hotel lobby, uh, again, where all these Allied generals are standing, and he, he came up to MacArthur's aide, and he said, this egg is for General MacArthur's breakfast courtesy of the 11th Airborne Division, and then he passed it over, which of course made General Swing quite happy. Now, I mentioned that the 511th PIR was tasked with securing the Yokohama docks, um, you know, and also the Yokohama-Tokyo Road. Now, the 11th Airborne Division under Warrant Officer Robert Berglund would go down to those docks every day and uh, in the morning, and they would play various marches and anthems for the arriving Allied troops and officials. The 11th Airborne's band was well known. I mean, they were extremely talented. So, of course, everybody enjoyed this music, Um, you know, especially the 511th paratroopers who were on duty guarding the docks all day. But then on September 2nd, 1945, the Angels Band set up on the Osanbashi Pier to play for one of the most momentous events in history, which was, of course, the signing of the Instruments of Surrender on the USS Missouri. Um, You may have seen this famous photo before taken of the departure docks used by the officials and general officers heading out to the USS Missouri, which was out floating in Tokyo Bay. What you might not know is that the soldiers lined up on the pier are members of the 11th Airborne Division's Honor Guard, 
who greeted the arriving dignitaries and officers and then guarded the docks against attack from unruly Japanese elements. Now, my grandfather's 2nd Battalion of the 511th PIR was also stationed on and around the dock, and General Swing later noted that his little paratrooper boys looked a million, and everybody was nice enough to say so. Now, there were three main groups of representatives that were heading out to the USS Missouri, and General Swing was part of the 2nd group. And upon arrival at the Missouri, you know, he lined up with the American general officers, and you can actually see him standing in the crowd. Um, so he had a direct view of the Japanese delegates' uh, side of the surrender table. You know, to his right stood Generals Joe Stilwell, Walter Kruger, and Jonathan Wainwright. And then to his left stood Generals Robert Eichelberger and you know, General Jimmy Doolittle. Now, I don't want to spend too much time going over the events of that historic morning. They've been well documented, but General Swing did say you know, it was a most impressive ceremony and General MacArthur handled it in a most impressive manner. Now, this photo was taken on September 7th, 1945, just a few days after the events that occurred on the Missouri. Here we see a colonel, Colonel Bernard Thielen, presenting the surrender documents to President Harry Truman at the White House. But here's my question. How did the surrender documents get from Tokyo to Washington? The answer is that the 11th Airborne Division helped make it happen. Now back on the USS Missouri, after the surrender ceremony was over, General Swing watched one of his paratroopers, Major Thomas Messero, handcuff a briefcase to his wrist. Now Messero was the commander of the 11th Airborne Division's honor guard for General MacArthur. Um, he had spent the last three days guarding the general. Major Messero and General Swing were actually quite good friends, and General Swing knew that Tom was a former All-American tackle from West Point who was 6'3 and tipped the scales at 220 pounds. General Swing noted that when Major Messero was uh, there in the Missouri surrounded by all the Allied generals and uh, admirals, he said he made the brass hats appear rather colorless in comparison. And Tom did, but that actually created a problem because Major Messero had been selected to uh, hand carry the instruments of surrender back to Washington. But because he was a tall, good-looking uh, combat veteran paratrooper who had this special duty, all the war correspondents took his pictures and his name was everywhere. So concern immediately grew for Tom's safety and the safety of the instruments in surrender. Everybody knew that Major Messero was carrying them. So this, this is what I was told by some of the angels is that Major Messero carried dummy documents off the Missouri uh, to the airfield and that the actual instruments of surrender were smuggled off the Missouri over to the airfield. Um, the story I was told is that there were a few sailors who acted like they were drunk, but they actually had the instruments of surrender smuggled on their body and they went to the airfield. I'm still researching that. I'll let you know what I find. If any of you uh, watching this video have some information on that, please email me. I would love to get into that a little bit more. Um, but there was actually kind of a cool thing about that. You know, recently I went to New Mexico to celebrate the 100th birthday of Staff Sergeant Jim Wilson, who was in B Company of the 511th PIR. And he was really good friends with Major Messero. And Major Messero actually asked uh, Jim to uh, come help him and be the NCO for the 11th Airborne's uh, uh, honor guard. And Jim had just, his body was just worn out from combat. And so he ended up in the hospital um, shortly after they landed at Itsuki. 
Um, he just had so many tropical illnesses that he just collapsed. And so he had to tell Major Messero, I can't go with you, Tom. And so Major Messero got this historic duty. He wanted his best friend to go, but Jim couldn't. And Jim told me that was his greatest regret of the war. Now, after Major Messero got back to the docks, he you know he left the transport and headed for the airfield. And General Swing, uh, you know, he stepped on the docks and he could hear his division band playing music just a little ways down the dock. And you know, he walked down and and he saw there was this big old sign on one of the buildings, um, and it said "Welcome to Japan." compliments of the 511th parachute infantry regiment which you know he got a big kick out of that the angels were welcoming all the other allied units to japan because they were the first ones there of course um but the angels took things one step further um when first cavalry division when they landed that morning um you know his first cavs started getting off their ships general swing listened to um warrant officer robert berglund the band director uh tell his band to switch songs and they started playing the old gray mare, she ain't what she used to be, which of course, you know, angered all the first cav troopers that were, you know, stepping onto the docks. And there was actually uh, one of the first cav officers started shouting at the 11th Airborne Division band and, you know, just cursing them for their choice of music and so forth, which of course General Swing thought was hilarious. Um, you know, private first class John Jones, you know, he was, he was on the Angels Honor Guard little ways down the dock and he just remembers watching this whole scene and he said that the first cav officer was just going through and yelling at all the 511th paratroopers he could find and of course none of them cared at all but things with first cav did not end there um general macarthur's headquarters had ordered the 511th pir's h company to guard the yokohama brewery right there on the docks uh which was relatively intact and you know a few hours after first cav landed one of their colonels, um, you know, with a patrol showed up at the brewery and he approached H company's blockade and, and he said, you know, he wanted to go through. And of course the angels stood their ground and, and they said that, um, you know, they, they were ordered by general MacArthur to guard this and no American or allied officers are allowed to come in here. No soldiers. So H company, Sergeant Laverle Pearson, who he was in charge of the checkpoint and, you know, he said, again, my orders are from General MacArthur. And so the first cav, the first cav officer, of course, was highly offended by this. And he tried to press the issue. So the battle-hardened Sergeant Pearson flipped off the safety on his Thompson submachine gun. And, you know, of course, this angered the, uh, the first cav uh, colonel. And he said, who are you people? And Sergeant Pearson responded proudly. He said, we are the 511th parachute from the 11th Airborne Division. Of course, all the angels around him grinned at this because there's a friendly rivalry. Well, I might use that term loosely, a friendly rivalry between 1st Cav and the 11th Airborne Division that stems back to their campaigns on Luzon. Um, but the 1st Cav officer smugly declared that you know his division was the first unit into Japan. And Sergeant Pearson just calmly responded, we've been here for four days. So the first cav colonel, you know, he grew red faced at this point, you know, this insubordinate paratrooper. How dare he? And he said, Sergeant, don't you salute a superior officer? To which Sergeant Pearson responded, well, yes, sir, but you don't have jump wings on your shirt. To this day, the wartime angels dispute first cavalry's motto of first in Manila, 
first in Tokyo. As we've already discussed, the Angels were the first Allied soldiers to visit Tokyo, including on Colonel Lottie's patrol, and of course all the unofficial visits that they took before the surrender ceremony. But as for the first in Manila statement, 1st Cav only beat the 11th Airborne Division into Manila by a few hours, and as one Angel pointed out, 1st Cav had tanks, and we only had mortars and machine guns, and men of the highest quality. But enough on that topic, I'm sure I'm going to hear all about it in the comments section from uh, all you 1st Cav troopers and family members and so forth, so just so you know, my grandfather served in the armored divisions before he moved over to the airborne divisions, so I have a great love for both and a great respect as well. So let's get back to the topic at hand. You know, six days after the surrender ceremony on September 8th, General uh, Swing invited the 511th PIR's Colonel Ed Lottie to join him for a flight over Yokohama, then Kawasaki, and then Tokyo itself. Their real intent for this flight was to watch first Cavs um, move into Tokyo. So from separate liaison planes, um, the Angels studied the Imperial Palace from above, while down below, General MacArthur um, was rolling into the city to make his official entrance, and then he headed to the U.S. Embassy, which he was now making as his new HQ. After landing, Colonel Lottie wrote to his wife, Helen, I bet few people have flown over the Emperor's Palace. Quite an experience to talk about for the rest of my life. And with General MacArthur's move to Tokyo, the 11th Airborne Division's Honor Guard was dismissed to go back to their original units, but before doing so, they were given one last task. The General's food supplies were still back at the new Grand Hotel, and you know they needed to be trucked to the American Embassy, so the Angels' Honor Guard were told to load his kitchen stores into trucks. And this is where the story gets good. General MacArthur had a chef named Felipe, and it was Felipe who pulled one of the trucks up to the hotel's service doors where the honor guard was supposed to load. Now, what MacArthur's staff did not know is that Felipe was great friends with honor guard member Private First Class Harry Swan of the 511th PIR. You see, back when the Angels were on Luzon, Private Swan had been walking down a street in Manila when he came upon three American GIs beating Felipe, who was a Filipino native. And of course, Harry was deeply offended by this scene. And so the battle-hardened angel, he yelled at the three bullies, you want to fight someone? You fight me. And the three soldiers took one look at the angry 6-2 paratrooper and they ran off. Felipe never forgot Private Swan's kindness. So when Harry and his buddies were told to load the food into the trucks, um, he helped distract the mess sergeant while the angels made off with cases of Campbell's soup, caviar, sausages, vegetables, other foods they'd not seen since they were in the States years before. Um, what the angels would do is they would, they would walk out of the kitchen with crates of food and they'd walk into the truck and stack some of the supplies uh, in the truck while paratroopers in the back were handing crates of food over the sides of the truck uh, down to their buddies in the street. So while General MacArthur's 11th Airborne Honor Guard members would have defended him to the last if they needed to. Uh, they weren't above helping themselves to a little of his good food and, and uh, other supplies at the time. And we will do another, vid uh, another video in the future about the 11th Airborne Division's time uh, and occupation duty in Japan, which lasted about four years. But, you know, this story itself helps demonstrate what kind of soldiers the Angels were uh, during occupation duty. You know, you, you've seen that a bit with Harry Swan's interactions with defending 
Felipe. And there's, you know, there's stories like this that abound throughout the division's time in the Pacific theater. But, you know, one could naturally expect the 11th Airborne's uh, angels to hold resentment and be bitter towards the Japanese people. Um, but that was not the case. Uh, in fact, most of the angels came to admire um, the everyday citizens of Japan. Um, over the next few years, the 11th Airborne's troopers became well known for passing out candy um, and food to the children, um, you know, and food and cigarettes to the adults because that's what they wanted at the time. Um, they actually would often distribute their own rations to starving Japanese citizens that they saw in the streets. Um, as Colonel Ed Lottie of the 511th PIR later wrote, we came as ambassadors of goodwill. The character and demeanor of the American soldier completely surprised the Japanese populace. They had been in fear of how the victorious soldiers would treat them. They were unprepared for the friendliness and fair-mindedness of the Americans. Now, the young troopers of the 11th Airborne, they knew they were there to establish and keep the peace, um, but they were also there to establish and promote democracy to a people who had only known authoritarian and martial rule for millennia. So these angels of mercy distributed um, confiscated Japanese military clothing and supplies, medical supplies, uh, and gasoline out to the general public. Um, the angels also helped improve public utilities, health services, schools, and just roads. At the end of the day, the young paratroopers of the 11th Airborne knew that their examples and their kindness would make all the difference. So let me end this video um, with the following two stories. First, after the surrender ceremony, uh, General Swing gave his angels permission to explore their stations, minus Tokyo, of course. Um, and during one such tour, Corporal William C. Kitchen of the 511th Airborne Signals Company came upon a, a beautiful Japanese uh, estate, basically a, a mansion, surrounded by gardens and so forth. And a finely dressed Japanese officer motioned um, for William to, to come in. And the cryptographic technician, he was surprised when this Japanese officer said in English, why are you not raping and looting? We would. Kitchen's former enemy was surprised with his response. And it was an answer that would have made you know, General Swing and Uncle Sam proud. He said, we don't do things like that. And they didn't. The angels in Japan were known for the honorable way in which they conducted themselves. So one last story. And again, we'll do more stories about the 11th Airborne Division's time during occupation duty. We'll do another video in the future. But um, one night about seven o'clock, an American mess sergeant entered his kitchen and he found a 10-year-old Japanese boy stealing sugar. Well, this, of course, set the mess sergeant off and he started yelling so loudly that other soldiers rushed into the kitchen and the angry mess sergeant wanted to turn the young boy over to the MPs. But there was a 511th paratrooper nearby, and he said, Sergeant, aren't you heading into town? You go ahead. We can handle this petty thief. And he did. You know, of course, the, the sergeant was happy. He headed into town. But the 511th paratrooper that was there in the kitchen, you know, he turned to this scared little boy who was just hungry. And he turned to him and he says, don't come here again. If they catch you, they'll put you in jail. The young angel then filled the boy's bag with sugar. And he said, don't ever do anything that will make your mama cry. And with a big smile, he let the starving boy go. 
For this and thousands of other daily acts of service, Secretary of War Patterson would say of the angels, they are the best representatives the nation could have, an army of which the American nation can be proud. So thank you for joining me today. I hope this video helped you learn a little bit more about the 11th Airborne Division and the landings at Itsuki and some of the events surrounding the surrender of Japan there on the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay, um, as well as the many connections that the Angels had to all those proceedings. I want to encourage you to hit the subscribe button below. We have a whole uh, program lined up, uh, almost a series, if you will, of videos we'll be putting out in the future regarding the 11th Airborne Division and their, you know, um, exploits and campaigns in World War II, uh, especially with a focus on the 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment. Um, I also want to invite you to consider purchasing our new book on the regiment, uh, When Angels Fall, From Tokoa to Tokyo, the 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment in World War II. Um, this book will cover the full history of the regiment, um, including their you know campaigns on Leyte and Luzon and what they did stateside um, during their their training uh, at Camp Tekoa and um, Camp Polk um, and Camp McCall as well. I also want to invite you to visit the new regimental historical website 511pir.com. On this website you'll find photographs, videos, um, wartime records, interviews, um, blog entries, uh, historical research articles, and so forth. It's just, we're building that every day. Um, so we'd love to get your feedback on it and have you take a look. Um, we want it to make, we want to make it a digital museum, um, in honor and memory of all the brave young angels who, as they said, jumped into hell from heaven. Again, thank you for joining me for today. Hope to see you next time. And as always, my friends, airborne all the way. To learn more about the history of the 11th Airborne Division, please subscribe to this podcast or visit www.11thairborne.com today, or consider purchasing one of our books on the 11th Airborne in World War II. When Angels Fall, the 511th Parachute Infantry Regiment in World War II, or Down from Heaven, the 11th Airborne Division in World War II, Volumes 1 and 2. All books are available wherever military history books are sold.